Hello and welcome to another episode of Get Out of Rap. For regular listeners, you'll know I'm not your normal host. I'm Rachel Goddard and today we've got the chance to turn the spotlight and I'll be talking to the creator of this podcast, Martin Teasdale. Hi Martin. Hello, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you Martin. Thank you. This is exciting Martin, we've, we get to hear from you. Do you know what, I'm, I'm more nervous about doing this than I have been about even putting the, um, the podcast together. It's kind of... Uh turning the tables and I kind of like now I can understand when people have said yeah it's really nerve-wracking because part of me was thinking it's not really weird we're just having a chat but I'm I'm more nervous this time around for sure. Don't worry I'll try and keep it easy for you Martin. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so I mean when we first sort of come up with this idea Martin the key the key point was you've got a following on LinkedIn and you would have met you know, a number of people across the industry in your, your career. So it's a good opportunity for people to hear from you sort of quite generally about lessons and advice that you might give. So I'll start. We've, you've spoken about on the podcast already a couple of times, so your own entry into the call centre. And we've all got that in common. I think we've somewhat fallen into it a bit accidentally. Um, but I'm really curious about how you've achieved the success in the industry that you've had. So kind of what are the things that you've learned along the way or advice that you'd give to people that really want to progress in a contact centre? Um, yeah, it's a great question to start with. Um, I think, you know, I, I was, as I said um, on the introduction to this podcast, I left uni, um, was looking at loads of other different things and I reached a point where I couldn't um, afford my rent. So... I took a job in a call centre in Wembley and stayed on the phones for quite a while, actually. I just enjoyed the atmosphere. I enjoyed the crack of people next to you and things. Someone's probably expected me to say it was great to be able to service customers. And, yeah, we had some great times talking to them. But more, off, more to be honest, it was more about the, the environment. And I, I would say, bimbled along for a while um, as a kind of agent and then... It was actually because um, when I found out we were expecting, we had my children, quite, I had my children young, and mm-hmm. that, that gave me a bit of a, a push really to go, okay, I, I need to progress and I want to stay within this, um, within this industry to do it. Because I just, to be honest, I just enjoyed the fun and the, and the people. So once I knew I had to get off my backside and do something, um, I think first and foremost, it's just making that conscious decision, but also then telling people because when I, where I worked at the time, there was no, and maybe this is true for a lot of people, there's no structured um, progression. There's, there's no scheme that you can go on for aspiring agents. You know, if a vacancy becomes available, it's, it's a bit of a free-for-all. But I, mm-hmm. I, I wanted to let people know that I wanted to progress. And to be honest, my first manager at the time, I think to get rid of me more than anything, just 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 gave me a massive list of stuff that said, "Okay, you need to know about this. You need to know about HR policies. You need to know about X, Y, Z." Um, and it was like a busy list. Just go away and do this. And I love that because I didn't rattle through it really quickly. I just did it because I thought this is gonna um, this is gonna prepare me. So I did that. And then the next opportunity that came available. I was further ahead than other people because I just spent my time, free time, uh, learning as much as possible. I think learning from others, um, being inquisitive. I think this is something that stood the test of time for me um, mm-hmm. and which led to the podcast, actually. Uh, 
about having this i know today it's called the difference between a growth mindset and a fixed mindset Mm -hmm. i think i've always been inquisitive um i've always worked hard i think there's again there's a lot to be said for um just getting down and 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 working hard and i've I've always been enthusiastic i I like the industry. I've always liked the teams that I've worked with. Um, I've always liked where I've worked to the point where you no longer work for those kind of um, places. And I think it's it's just been that. I don't think there's any one thing. I look back at my I look back at my career and think there are times when I could have done much better. Um, and I I think once you decide to get going that's it really just never never stop i don't ever want to feel like i'm i'm comfortable or or a success in anything i think um you've just got to you've just got to keep going mm-hmm. it's I've... interesting martin i mean you've, you've spoken about your first manager um they're giving you a bit of a, a busy list but by the sounds of it that particular leader was quite pivotal in sort of driving you forward um, and, and from a leadership perspective, you know, in an environment that didn't have a structure, he's given you that. So that's that's really, really interesting. And I think a lot of listeners would be able to take something from that, either in their own journey, they can probably pinpoint that one person that's really sort of propelled them forward. Or they, if they haven't had that person yet, maybe they could go and find them. I, I think you can learn from everyone that you work for. Um, even if, even along, you know, I've worked for some people in the past where, I thought if I ever got to that position, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't do this in the in the same way you have, mm. and I, so I think you can learn from everyone you work for. There's absolutely been some pivotal people in my in my career, and it's led to me being a great advocate now of uh, mentors. So mm-hmm. mentors, not just in your own company necessarily, but if you are somebody that aspires to progress and I think progression is an interesting one because it's not always linear I think progression just can be you develop more skills it doesn't have to be this kind of arbitrary rise up a hierarchy Mm -hmm. and a a mentor um, should be someone that can enable you to do that someone that will that will challenge you so I've become a you know we have a mentoring scheme in our company we we're, I've become a massive advocate of mentors because of some of the people that I've had um lead me I, I've worked for people that would technically give you a bollocking and you come out of it thinking uh, I remember coming out of one particular meeting where I came out and <laughs> thanked her for um her time over that hour even though technically I was getting <laughs> warned about my performance because I, I just learned you know I learned I learned from it so um whoever you have working for you you should be able to learn from them for sure yeah that's really interesting martin thank you i mean you've spoken you've spoken about maybe feeling like there were times where you could have done better and you know and getting a bollock in when you needed it um do you have any sort of mistakes that you would publicly share martin this is going out um you've (laughs) you've made during your journey that you really feel like you could pinpoint in terms of your own personal growth? Um, I think if you have worked in operations or in a contact centre and led teams, and I was lucky enough to lead some large teams, then you make hundreds, I've made hundreds of mistakes, Mm. whether it is um, how we routed calls, promoting people when it was close. Um, I... 
I think um, if I if I look back on some mistakes that I've made, it would be quite a, it would be quite early on in my career where I think as a new leader you um, you seek out popularity rather than having some challenging conversations, mm-hmm. but you probably do do people a disservice by doing that if if you're leading a team and you never challenge them. I think leaders should always be there for their team. I see my role as making the people in my team realise their potential, like giving them a a lift up the wall, if you like. Mm -hmm. I see, as well as making decisions, strategic and tactical, I think your role is to make people in your team um, better. And and that comes by... uh, clear and consistent feedback and I think as an early leader I was probably more um, fixated on just being popular everyone likes Martin here comes Martin he's always happy Um, and I shied away from some more challenging um, conversations initially Um, and I was probably a bit too quick to find quick solutions rather than work harder and longer for some more strategic ones i mean mistakes wise i i was lucky enough to specific mistakes i was lucky enough to work in istanbul for um just over two years and i by that point was quite confident in thinking i know what i'm doing i know how to structure a team i know how large teams should operate and i went in there with a desire to make a real positive difference from day one even though I, I couldn't speak the language um and I my very first meeting I thought I know what I'll do I'll try and um I'll try and talk in in Turkish and I asked everyone to come and meet me for a morning underpants meeting because <laughs> <So, laughs> I, I I I'd miss I'd mistranslated a, a word and I had people just kind of going, what is this English guy up to? Um, it could have been much worse, Martin. Oh, there were, I, there's some that I can't say. But um, <laughs> I made loads. But I think people liked the fact I was trying to learn the language. But my biggest mistake in that, um, in that period of my career was assuming that I knew best. So uh, we, I'd had a tried and tested methodology, but I didn't spend enough time understanding the culture understanding the business culture out there and utilizing people that were already in place i wasn't dismissive at all i i knew it was important to establish good relationships with the um turkish guys that were out there but i was kind of like right we're going to do it this way and i'll give you one example it was kind of like um call scripts and how you might and and the structure of a call Uh, day one I said right this there were no scripts we're going to instill scripts and we're going to do this and I was quite prescriptive it just didn't work with Turkish customers who were mass generalization but more inclined to want to have a chat with people on the phone and being scripted in any way at all actually disengaged um, customers and despite people telling me this I still went ahead and we had a horrible performance to to start with and I was under a great deal of pressure I was away from home 
and you think, oh no, I'm going to stick to my guns. This is this is a period where I'm being tested, so I, you know, I have to stick with what I know best. Rather than now, when I look back, and I did, I I did course correct, I did change, um, but when I look back now, it was rather than wanting to just go, yep, yeah, these are tried and tested methods. They absolutely work. I should have listened more. And I think that's something that I've taken from a lot of the mistakes that um, I've made in my career is to listen far more than I, than I talk, <laughs> which is why I'm the host on the podcast normally, not the person talking because I have a tendency to witter on. No, not at all, Martin. I think it's interesting though, you speak about sort of that early leadership challenge and it's, it's something that I think so many people come across that just difficulty in having those challenging conversations. But I wonder what, what for you changed that, Martin? Do you think that was just kind of a, a period of time, a growing immaturity, or, or was there something that kind of kicked in that said, no, I've got kind of, I've just got to have these conversations and I can't be popular or aim to be popular? I, I remember... Um... One of the first teams that I managed, um, I was about 21, 22, something like that. And the majority of my team were um, a lot older than me and more than half was female. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I may, you know, I kind of wasn't, I was just trying to, I was trying to win them over, trying to be their friend. Um, and it was actually that they actually said, uh, people within the team actually said you you need to you need to lead us and you need to call people out when either behavior or performance isn't good enough and help us get better it was actually the team um that kind of helped me get on the straight and narrow as, as it were and and it i also learned another thing that i think new team leaders or managers suffer from is they believe that they can they have to be infallible Whereas showing vulnerability and just being normal, just being yourself. So, because I can remember talking to the team and saying, look, I'm really, you know, I'm not really sorry. I said, I've made mistakes. Here are the mistakes I've made. Here's what I'm going to do to try and correct them. And it just led to a better dynamic within the team. And from my point of view, it's the same as any coaching. You know, you kind of, you don't get it overnight. I asked for help. I asked for more experienced leaders that I trusted to help talk me through how I might be better at, um, at giving feedback, uh, at having some of those challenging conversations. Because I think it's overawing when you're first, you, you were responsible for 15 people and mm. you're a social worker, you're a teacher, you're a friend, your lead, you know, all of these different things. Some of the things that I was challenged with, um, I had no idea how to cope with them. And rather than go out, so for one, for example, it's kind of like people's within the team, I had a complaint about someone else's personal hygiene. And I was like, how do I even deal with that? I, I had no idea. But And there were so many options open to me that I could have taken to be able to address that. And I didn't um, deal with them because I just thought, oh, no, I just, they're an adult. They'll sort it out themselves. I'll just get on with it because I've got more things to do. And I think there's so much more that people can do if they're in those positions and they're feeling overawed. But I think there's so much more we can do as an industry to help people give them the tools to be able to 
have that kind of influence over 15 people for eight hours a day. It's a huge responsibility. And again, this is a huge generalization because there are lots of people doing it well. But I think we could do a lot more for our team leaders, especially. Especially when you think every senior leader will tell you if there's one group of people that you need to get right to be in order to be able to fulfill strategic implementations and projects it's the team leader group yeah but I don't think we always equip them well enough to be able to not only deliver strategic initiatives and to think of the customer and deliver customer service but also to be able to structure their day and deal with 15 people all with different personalities all with different strengths and weaknesses and it can be absolutely stupefying because I think that's why a lot of team leaders will often default to firefighting and just answering queries all the time Mm. and that's how they evidence that they're a leader always because I'm the most knowledgeable and I help people out and I'll sometimes take over calls or or whatever it may be I think once I realized that I could do so much more than that um, by providing feedback and coaching better um, and leading better I don't. I think there's no better feeling. You, you said at the outset, um, how have I made a success? I don't always think of myself as a success. But one thing I do look back on with a great deal of pride is people that have worked for me over the last 10, 15 years, 20 years, whatever, um, who are now in great positions. And I think some small part I've played in that. I think there's no better feeling than that when you're a leader of leader of people mm. yeah i agree and i think like you say team leaders are having having to deal with sort of very complicated situations now right you know from the spectrum of someone dealing with quite significant mental health issues yeah. um, down to your kind of more traditional like performance management led um you know kind of conduct piece so it's mm. it's ensuring they've got the right toolkit um, and I know Martin's well, you've posted before because I've found them really, really useful, um, some tools for team leaders around sort of structuring their day, um, along with sort of lot, lots of other really useful articles. So if you were kind of sitting in front of someone who's very, very new to that team leader population or someone really sitting in that seat, doing exactly your, as you're doing now, really sort of keeping their eye on the pies and waiting for that next world to come up, what's the most important thing that they get right in that, those early stages? Um... Oh, that's a great question. I think number one um, is utilizing. I, I, I would I would tell any when I became a manager of team leaders, I mm. would tell them to work with HR to absolutely become experts in policies that could have a career changing impact on their the people in their team. Mm. You ca- you cannot wing that you cannot wing whether somebody's going up for a disciplinary and it could have a you need to become expert so I would first of all it was that the other thing as well and I think you're alluding to that in terms of one of the things I posted was about just being able to give yourself a structure that makes you feel like you've progressed every day rather than just coped every day Mm. so in this particular instance where it was very very simple which was I sat down with, I think uh, we had nine team leaders at the time. I sat down with them and they were very much of a view that 
the day was like being in a washing machine that they came out at the end of the day and they just survived and survival was success. Mm. And um, they were frustrated that even though we had allocated coaching time, one-to-one time from workforce management, those things never happened because they were dealing with fires elsewhere. And, and then it's catch, you know, it's a, it's a cycle then, because if you're not coaching someone to be better, they repeat the same mistakes that you deal with again, that you know that you could coach. And, so we did a number of things. We sat down and said, okay, what are three things that must happen? We, we, first of all, we broke it down daily, weekly, monthly, mm-hmm. and we just wrote a checklist. And this checklist uh, was in Excel. People stuck it on their desks or had it on their desktop. And it was, what are the three things that I must do that are critically important every day? And I think... Um, you're a team leader, not because you're an administrator, but you're a leader of people. So most of those three um, were about people. And I think one of them was make sure you talk to every member of your team every day. And that sounds daft, but we had people, um, whether through surveys or exit interviews, or even me just wandering around the floor talking, saying, there's some days where my team leader doesn't talk to me because they're so busy or they're dealing with the problem children in the class. Um, So we had speak to every person every day, deliver at least one meaningful coaching intervention every day. And I think coaching is an interesting one because coaching, you know, there's formal coaching, which is prepared, maybe documented, no, prepared, documented and so on. But there's also, you can have, impactful informal coaching sessions that are a bit more in the moment that would count Mm. um oh and the third one was speak to all of your team at some point and this was something that again where i think we we were very good at challenging the the status quo within the contact center is that first of all i said to workforce management are there any points when i can take all of my team off for a buzz session and it was like well before their shift starts you can um and we did that but i also had people coming in at different times when everybody was in the in the contact center even if two of the team or five of the team were on calls i would still be stood or i'd ask my team leaders by now to be stood in the middle of that group and talk to them about how well they were doing as a team and what the challenges were for the day and for the people that were on calls that didn't hear just go and speak to them again. I think that's better use of your time as a team leader than it is filling out um, paperwork. So we had those were the three um, daily. Now, monthly was interesting because what we what we found out was what guy what the team leaders were saying is the month just ran away from them. So by being really strict around certain things up to halfway through the month it meant that we broke the back of it. And what I mean by that is we we said everyone must have completed at least um, half of their one-to-ones, half of their coaching sessions, and half of their uh, quality monitoring um, by the 15th of the month. And we devised a way to very quickly track it. So it wasn't onerous. And what it meant was it just led to a far more calmer month rather than everything being shoved to the end of the month. You know, yeah. we, we would have people doing mass panic, really like revolving <laughs> door 
yeah. one-to-ones and stuff. And it was, no, let's try and let's just try and break this down into manageable chunks. And and doing that made a huge difference to to everyone, just breaking down um you know what we're doing and then the other thing i would say is i didn't like the fact that we seem to be team leaders seem to be just constantly answering queries so we didn't we had an intranet but it wasn't really kept up to date um no one really took responsibility for it um so what we did is say for one day again bit of effort but for one day everyone every team leader who got asked a query would write it on a whiteboard that we put in the middle of the office yeah um and then at the end of the shift everyone stayed we were all there like 9 p.m and we just looked at the queries that we that had been asked throughout the day and i think you can do this you can do this in so many other different ways now you know online or whatever um, but we were able to just break up huge chunks of those queries. And the next day we were better than the day before because we answered loads of them. That's and, great. Well, we also said to the team members as well, now that we've answered this, you can't, aren't, you can't ask this again. Because for some people, not many, but for some, it was easier to escalate it to a team leader than deal with it themselves. Yeah. Um, and then the the final thing, because I'm again, this is why I'm the host normally, because I'm just I can just witter on and I've forgotten the question. But... <laughs> it's all interesting. It's all really interesting, Martin. Uh, the other thing that I challenge team leaders with is to recognise that they had a great resource reporting into them. So some of the things that um, and every com- every contact centre is different, but some of the things that we ask team leaders to do they should ask their team to do. So we, for yeah. example, I'd said, look, within every every team leader was tasked with either coming up with an incentive or a game or decorating their area or whatever it may be. And too often they would try and do everything themselves. And I would say, look, yeah. you've got 15 people in your team. One of them's gone to art college. Get Just provide them the materials. Let them do it or, yeah. or ask them. And that changed. So I can't express how much that changed in that we had people that were going oh i'm great at excel i'm a whiz at it what do you need doing and we'll go okay um the internet isn't working as well as well as we'd liked so we were thinking of maybe having something in excel faqs yeah fine i'll do it in my own time and we by finding out the skill set within your team and actually asking people do you want to do something being very clear that it doesn't, it, you know, it's, they're not coming off the phones to do it or anything like that. But um, it just gave them something else to do, and it it was a it was it had a massive impact. Yeah, well, I think that's great. And I think if you can delegate someone who would enjoy it, rather than a team leader who's, you know, like you say, absolutely kind of maximum capacity, who's going to sort of stress about getting it done, you know, why wouldn't you sort of hand that sort of that sort of thing out like you say i think you know activity allowing depending on how the call center's running um that's really really that's really useful martin i wish i knew some of those things a few years ago i think <laughs> i would have found them really useful i mean you've spoken about kind of the call center environment so how how long has have you been in the contact center environment now martin it's been oh uh from when i left uni uh, 23 years how how has that 
evolved as an industry. If you, I'm, I'm really interested as well, um, specifically around how in contact centres colleague treatment has changed and also how how it's changed around focus for the customer. I think that broad view would be useful. Um, I think it's great that um, as an industry, there is a far better perception of um, of us than ever before. I think there's still more that can be done for that. Um, I think there's a hell. I, I think it's great to see a lot of the stuff that's being done for um, employee engagement. Mental health is hugely important to me, and also to the company I'm at now, BPA. Um, and it's great to see some mental health uh, first aiders and all and all mm-hmm. of those kind of things that you see now across the industry. I, I, the other thing I think as well, lucky enough to judge in some um, contact centre awards, one of my favourite ones to judge is the corporate social responsibility because the impact contact centres, regardless of size, have in their local communities is phenomenal. And I, yeah. and I don't think enough is done about that. Maybe locally, um, local media outlets pick up on the fact that a contact centre's raised x amount for this local charity or they've gone in and painted a school or they've planted loads of trees i think the work that you know the positivity from a community point of view that comes out of contact centers is is something that we should all be all be really proud of and we should kind of continue to do and think about how we can we can do it better i think over and above that, though, and I don't know whether this is just because that's where I where I started. Everyone will say, if you're a frontline team member, um, as we as technology improves and as com- and as cust- companies rather try and get more of their customers to self serve, um, whether through apps or websites or whatever, that then by the time a customer wants to talk to a team frontline team member that the query that they're going to be dealing with will be more complex and more challenging for them and more interesting and they'll enjoy the job better. All of that, I think, is true and it's great. I still don't think we do enough for frontline team members to recognise that we're asking more of them. I, I, and that, that's a huge generalisation because there are, it's a spectrum, right? There's some, people do, yeah. there's some people doing it really, really well and there's some that probably would look very similar to when I started if I went back in there. Um, But the middle group, uh, my challenge would be that I think we can do more in terms of training and and training not just about um, processes, procedures, equipment, products, but process uh, training that recognises that whether it's chat or call, um, that it's going to be about communication training that helps uh, team members communicate better, listen better, that the language and the words that they use are important, but also to give them the coping mechanisms that recognise that this part of the job hasn't really changed, that even though you could have 10 different skill sets or deal with 10 different lines of business, nonetheless, if you're full-time, you are still dealing with a repetitive task and I think as we know now that the the damage that that can do to people's brains and their mentality and their you know how their positivity because they're they're dealing with this repetition mm. um, I think we I think 
we need to maybe pay people a bit better. Some of the figures that come out from the nationwide survey, um, I would love to see companies recognize that contact centers are really customer centers. They're these centers of excellence. If they want to achieve anything with their customer base, if they invested a bit more in contact centers, not just, well, in, in pay, but in also in some other areas, they could they could really truly deliver great customer experience because that was the second part of your question as to how has customer experience changed. I think there's far more awareness. I think there's far more people um, with a plan. Um, but I don't know if it is hugely, hugely improved in the time that... Um, I've been in the industry and there's, there's thousands of reasons for that, but I, I still think there's more to do in that sense. Cause I think we're all customers, right? And if yeah. you look, if you look back yourself and go, when was the last time you were wowed by an interaction that you, that you had, they're probably still the outliers rather than the norm. Mm. So I still think there's, I still think there's more that, that can be done. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. And I think from a customer perspective, we watched. So contact centres have evolved and then so is customer expectation. I am one of these people. I just I just refuse to pick up a phone. I just can't stand it. So I work, <laughs> work in a contact centre. <laughs> I work in a contact centre, but I, wouldn't, I will do anything to avoid phoning just because of lifestyle. Just, you know, like you've got kids you know i'm working so i just just talk to me like i want to send a quick email or you know recently had an interaction with someone through like whatsapp they're using the whatsapp platform to service customers and i'm i like, love it you know that's what's mm. gonna wow me because i just want mm. i want it convenient i want it quick um and there's there's an awful lot to keep up with that demand you know the more you read about sort of millennials um they don't teach children how to write letters in schools anymore because they're communicating on text and email. Well, know, that's, that's the thing, you know. That's um, why communication training is so important. Do you know, I think it's something that's probably common in the industry. My family and friends for years have said, how can you work in call centre, contact centres, but you are terrible at ringing us? <laughs> so, because I spend all day on the phone. So exactly, say, yeah. The last thing I want to do is come home and get on the phone. Exactly, so we're not, I mean, I think like you say, so a lot more companies have definitely recognised colleague first. The customer bit comes as a symptom of that rather than, you know, maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you'd put the customer first potentially without realising that the colleague had a lot to do with that. So that's, that's absolutely, I think like you said, it's probably true of a lot of, of contacts. Um, I think the ones that have got it right... And there is a lot. I don't want this to be seen as being overly negative, but mm. the ones that have got it right are the ones where there is the shortest distance between strategy and consistent delivery by frontline team members. Because if the environment is is right for agents, colleagues, you know, frontline people, the environment is right. They're supported, given the right tools. Um, and they completely understand the vision and the strategy. And throughout the day, that's reinforced and they're challenged to do that. And they're given adequate, you know, they're, they're treated in the right way. They're going to be better able to deliver 
what the sea level leaders of the companies um request or mm. believe yeah. the the ones where there's this greater difference and i think it's too easy to forget um your your vision and your strategy you're going to be asking somebody to deliver that who let's be honest it could still be an entry-level job mm-hmm. um they might not necessarily see it as somewhere where they could have a career and they or they might just be doing it as a stopgap or to pay for the weekend or, or or whatever it may be and mm. even the ones that are the most committed this is still a really really tough job at the end of um at the end of the shift you know you yeah me and you we're both we both i'm now in quality you're an expert in it um there's that exercise we do where we'll play and everyone must have done this play calls at the start of somebody's shift versus the end and they sometimes will sound like two different people mm. and i think that you know more often than not we'll go come on you can do better that first call mentality i think we need to be able to give people license and team leaders license to say you know what your job is to make that person's day more enjoyable so that that when they do get that call at the end of the shift they are properly hydrated they're happy they understand where they fit in the bigger picture they understand where they need to be better at their individual performance and and all of those things you know i mentioned hydrated there something that um I only found out uh, earlier this year is there's a num- there's an organisation that deals with people that use their voices for their jobs. So mm. singers, newscast, read, you know, uh, people in the radio. When you think about it, our people on the phones right now, because it's still 70% voice, mm-hmm. um, they are using their voice for their profession. Yet when you look at this professional voice i don't know the exact name of it but um you can google it when you look at some of the things that they suggest that their members do to take care of their voices i would challenge whether we do that within the contact center world because it's things like if our team members are talking throughout most of the day you can forget the kind of eight glasses of water as the minimum requirement it's a lot more than that because they uh, don't want to start talking about bodily fluids but they use more saliva yeah um they're more gonna they're gonna be prone to um voice uh throat problems and all of these different things i just think those are the sorts of things that we just need to introduce um to be able to continue this uh focus on employees a bit more just get it a bit let's get a bit serious about it let's recognize what we're asking people to do and to support them to to do it we thinking back to when um i was running ops teams we did things way before this current uh, focus on the environment and plastic where we provided people with um branded water bottles that we allowed people we worked with workforce management and scheduling to allow people more breaks to be able to stay hydrated we talked to team leaders about it we educated people about it and i think there's just simple things like that can make such a difference yeah yeah it's getting the basics right isn't it sometimes completely completely so what's your what's your vision for the industry martin so just you know more widely for the industry and you know or anything sort of more personally with what you want to achieve inside and outside of work I'm I'm excited about um, 
where this industry can go. I think it would be great to see a continuation of the change of kind of the perception of what working in a contact centre means that um, it isn't, you know, some of the absolute, the, the reason I think most of us, when we step, when we fall into this industry, we stay is because we see great stuff every day. We work with great people every day. It would be great to recognise that and organisations like the CCMA do a great job in, um, professional continuing this kind of this professional view of the industry because all of the different um that's one of the reasons to do in the podcast all of the different um skill sets and industries that sit within a contact center is phenomenal mm. so it would be great to see the external perception of contact centers improve i think the thing that um excites me the most is I think it was simply business who were going to trial a four-day week. I think the way we understand how people work to see how that manifests in contact centre, whether mm -hmm. it's things like mindfulness or better working patterns, um, more sort of progressive thinking. How do you fit that into a contact centre? And I think one thing that we are good at in the industry is when we're, especially when we're kind of, like the A-team, when they're trapped in a barn, they're very good at building tanks out of nothing. I think yeah. when we have to, we're, the, we're a very creative industry. So yeah. I think meeting the challenges of greater customer expectations, the, the rise of or the technology changing all of the time, um, the people that we have coming into the contact centres are more aware than they've ever been of so many more things than when I started for sure um I would love to see uh where that goes and I think uh the other thing and again this one of the reasons for wanting to put the podcast together is to help people break down the myth of imposter syndrome yeah um I everyone says oh you shouldn't shouldn't have any regrets I I do have a regret I have a regret that for too long I thought, oh, there's no way that I could be uh, the next level. There's no way I could be a senior leader because of that, you, you know, that kind of negative self-talk that you think, oh, look at them. They're so much, they're, they're more intelligent than me. They they understand more. They're more strategic or, or whatever it may be, rather than just going, no, that's nonsense. You know, and now it's called something. Now people understand it, that it, there's imposter syndrome. And I would hate to think that, anyone who's listened to this would go oh, i could i could never come on the podcast or even do a podcast you know i think it's that kind of thing i'd love to see um people just being disruptive in a positive way by going you know what i can do it i can stand up i think there's so much to be proud of for our industry it's kind of even to even 20 years ago i can remember having to tell friends and family you know you kind of at first you say, oh, it was called call centres and I work in a call centre. Maybe you said it a little bit under your breath, but we were ahead of society in terms of um, equality, gender equality, sexuality equality, all these different things because it, well, I was maybe I'm, I was lucky where I worked, but I, I worked for female bosses more than male. Most of my peers, I was in a minority, but nobody cared. It, yeah. No one ever cared. We just got on with it and we fast paced, energetic. Um, and I think that is something I've always been proud of. I continue to be 
proud of. And I think we have a hell of a lot to be proud of by working in this um, this industry. So, yeah. And, and thanks to you, Martin. I think now we've got a platform to sort of share that and just to touch upon, you know, your your views on the imposter syndrome. I know that um, I've seen some sort of LinkedIn comments about it, which is I genuinely encourage having been a guest and now a guest host. Um, <laughs> I'm not taking it over, Martin. Um, to just do it, to just get out there because you've just got nothing to lose. This is an industry mm. that's very, very collaborative forgiving i'm with you martin i think it's always felt like no matter what sort of what's going on in business everyone just sort of knuckles down it's Mm. one of those industries that just grows together Mm, Uh, for sure there's not an individual agenda so you've got a point you want to share you know contact martin um you know reach out but It, it kind of goes full circle to the very first thing which was just put your hand up, take a step forward, do, do something, um, come out of your comfort zone because yeah, it could be uncomfortable. You could make mistakes, but it's going to be a great, it's going to be a great journey. Um, and I think everything, no one's ever going to say no to you, even outside of companies, people that you don't even know, whether it's through LinkedIn or, or anything like that, people will be, um, generous with their time and knowledge, I think, you know, and again, that's something that I've discovered kind of over the last say, four or five years where I maybe didn't do it earlier on was when you see people doing something well, or you th- it looks like they're doing it well, contact them and ask them about it. People aren't, it's very rare that someone is going to go, oh no, we're not telling you. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. No, I agree. I've had some great success with that in the last sort of six to 12 months, actually, just, just getting a bit really outreaching and beyond the contact center industry as well, just to, um, you know, just to kind of say, look, your role interests me. You know, I wonder if there are synergies here that we've not considered. Um, And like you said, I mean, sometimes I get ignored. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Probably too many many emojis. Um, But, you know, like you say, sometimes people are just happy to answer questions. And sometimes what you get is, you know, genuine kinship you know yeah. with some of those people that you know you can kind of turn to when you really might need some help so I, I agree with you on that I think that that brings us to a really nice close Martin are you going to come on again <laughs> if you'll have me if you'll have me back yeah <laughs> there's a monumental shift in power at work Employees are speaking up, turnover is rising, salaries are increasing, hiring is tough, and burnout is real. It's time to unleash growth. It's time to transform your HR from powerless to powerful. Join ADP on February the 23rd. Reserve your spot now. Go to gettheplan.adp.com to register for the Work Interrupted Summit.